So the Bible Chapel has been blessed with six tremendous campuses. We have five here in Pittsburgh, uh, Robinson, Washington, Ross Straver, Wilkinsburg, and of course the South Hills. We have one campus in Florida in DeBerry, and we also have many who join us online every weekend. And I love our model because we say we are one church in many locations, meaning every campus has its own unique style, its own differences in their approach to ministry in order to reach their demographic. But no matter what campus you're at, we have the same mission. We are united in this. We exist to develop followers of Jesus Christ. And no matter where you worship as part of the Bible Chapel community, we also have the same five core values. We call these values also the five essentials that every believer needs active in their life. Word, worship, connect, serve, share. If you've been with us for any period of time, we've been drilling down on these word, worship, connect, serve, share. Fittingly, today we're going to focus on the value serve to close out this series. And I say fittingly because we just had probably our biggest serve event church-wide that we have all year, which was Night to Shine, a prom for individuals with special needs. How many of you attended Night to Shine on Friday night? Yes. I was going to ask you to give a praise, but you already were proactive on that. Good job. We are so thankful. We had 403 guests. Now, that doesn't even include all their family that stayed. And we had 675 volunteers. The cool thing about it, yes. <laughs> the cool thing about that is uh, a lot of these volunteers as well are, are just from the neighborhood and community. We get to interact with other people outside of our church. So, so Jacqueline Royal, who does a fantastic job leading that ministry, uh, she uh, shared some stories. Already stories are pouring in. I just want to give you two highlights. There's many we could give you. We're going to have a, a video for you next week showing some highlights from Friday night. But let me just share two stories that have already come in. Jacqueline sent me this one yesterday. She said, one of our key volunteers sent this to me this morning. That was yesterday. Her husband's uncle is 90 years old and has Down syndrome. He was our oldest guest that night. How cool is that? And here's what that volunteer said. Quote, it was incredible to have my husband's uncle at the event. I saw Uncle Sam on the dance floor, and I stopped to dance with him. He spun me around, and we were laughing. Then he gave me a big hug and said, I remember when we danced at your wedding. Then I looked over across the floor, to, and I saw my husband, Roger, and he was just standing by the gym doors, and he was watching and smiling. He was so happy to see his Uncle Sam having so much fun. Uncle Sam is 90, so you never just never know, and we want every moment with him to be precious. One more. This one is from one of our members who started interacting with a volunteer who does not attend this church. And just here's that volunteer's response to what they saw. Quote, a volunteer who does not attend our church adopted three children with special needs over 25 years ago. She was in awe over the whole event to see how far we have come 
to acknowledge this group of people as individuals with feelings and wants just like all of us. It's often said, there is nothing better than the church when the church is doing it right. When we're serving together, united together, being a witness for Jesus Christ. And we praise God for night to shine and the work that God did there. That's our theme this morning, this value of serve. So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4 is right after the book of James in the New Testament. In the anchor verse, for us, there's many, many passages that, that speak of this value serve uh, throughout Scripture, but the anchor verse that we often use is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. That verse reads, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. This verse on its own speaks clearly that God has given every believer at least one gift that is to be used for God's glory in serving one another. And without understanding, though, the context of this verse within its passage, we could miss out on just the broader picture that Peter represents on this value of serve and understand who was Peter writing to. And what was going on here? So that's our aim this morning. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, and we're going to notice as we get uh, going here three attributes of a church that truly values serving one another. It's going to be a, a self reflection for us this morning as the Bible chapel. So before we get there, let me give you a brief background on where we get in 1 Peter chapter 4. So P Peter wrote this letter to persecuted believers who at this point in the first century were, were scattered around the ancient world at that time. And, and Peter uh, knew uh, with his time with Jesus what, what it meant to go through persecution. And, and Peter is trying to remind these beat-up believers, one, who they are in Christ, make sure they know exactly who they are in Christ. And if you read this letter, there's just this sense of urgency in Peter's tone, that there's, there's no time to waste in what God has given you and what he desires you to do. Now, again, Peter, he was one who absolutely knew what it meant to be persecuted. In Scripture, we see he was threatened, beaten, and in prison for preaching the word of God. But we can't help but think when Peter wrote this letter, as he's encouraging these believers to find their hope in Jesus Christ, if, if maybe he's recalling these words of Christ to himself and the disciples when Jesus told them in John 16, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus told Peter and his disciples, nothing in this world is going to bring you peace. Actually, the opposite. Living for me in this world, you're going to face hardship, you're going to face trial, you're going to face persecution. But in me, you will have peace. That's because there is nothing in this world that can strip away the eternal security that a believer has in Jesus Christ. Peter knew they can, they can take my possessions, 
They can try to strip away my reputation. They can even imprison me and beat me up, but they can't touch my eternal security in Jesus. And that's why throughout this letter, Peter weaves this theme throughout that in the midst of all these believers are going on, remember, remember, you are secure in Christ. Starting in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Isn't that beautiful? Your security is in Christ, who is sitting on the throne, right hand of the throne of God. It's kept in heaven for you. No one can touch that. Now, smack dab... In the middle of this letter, bracketed actually by two sections on persecution, Peter gives clear discussion uh, on what it means to be a church that is united in the midst of all the things going on around them. And a united church, according to Peter, is a church that serves one another. I believe these same essentials that Peter gave to this church of believers 2,000 years ago is just as relevant today. If we, the Bible chapel, say that we are a church that values serving one another, then these three attributes should be showing up at all of our campuses as the body of Christ. So let's dig in. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. And Peter begins again with this tone, there's no time to waste. 1 Peter chapter 4, let's start with verse 7. Peter says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Some may say when Peter says the end of all things is at hand, he's just referring to these believers at that moment in time. Based off what they were experiencing, guess what? Your time might be running out soon. But most likely, if you look at all of the New Testament, every time we see this end of all things, uh, it is referring to the return of Jesus Christ. Believers are told, starting with Jesus and throughout the New Testament, we are to live with a sense of urgency because at any moment, Christ could return. This phrase, at hand, means draw near. Starting with Jesus, the church is told that Christ's return is imminent, meaning it could happen at any time, and we're supposed to live in a manner that we are ready for his return. Jesus said this in Matthew 24:44, "Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." Peter, before he's about to give these essentials of serving one another, first make sure that these believers, the church, know, like, seriously, guys, this is an urgent matter. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. There is no time to waste on what I'm about to share is important for you to do. You see, as believers, this sense of urgency is twofold for us. Everyone knows, if they live in this world, that no one is guaranteed tomorrow. We see it every day. 
Just watch the news. There are constantly uh, death, things going on. We, we all know and can feel that life is fragile. But for the believer, we also have this second truth that we're supposed to live with an expectation that Christ could also return at any moment. And Peter says with that urgency, it, it starts with a church where believers are clear-minded in their approach to God. When Peter says in verse 7 that we are self-controlled and sober-minded, that is a clear-headed believer who wakes up every day in prayer and communication to the living God because we do not want to waste a moment in disconnection with our Lord. We want to be in communication with him. We want to be submitting everything of our day to him. We want to have that personal one-on-one -on -one direct line with him for everything we do every single day. Now, Bible Chapel family, Robinson, Washington, and South Hills this morning, if Peter said 2,000 years ago, church, you better live with a sense of urgency, how much more true is that today with everything going on around us, that we are called to live with a sense of urgency? Sometimes we, we live with Christian complacency. We keep looking to the future as the time when we'll get serious about following Jesus Christ. I know living grounded is important. I've been told it can aid me in my understanding on the truths of God's word, but you know what? Spring is going to be busy again. I will try again in the fall. I keep hearing how every campus needs more children volunteers, more people to invest in the next generation. But you know what? Giving up one weekend a month, I just don't know if I can pull that off. Maybe I'll try again next year. The Bible Chapel, are we a church of urgency or a church of complacency? And after Peter sets this tone of urgency that what I'm about to share, we need to get going, church, he now gets into these three attributes of what it looks to look like to be a church that is unified under Christ to serve one another. Look at verse 8 to start. Above all, Peter says, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Peter says this, serving one another first requires our hearts. First and foremost, it's a heart issue. Before we do anything, it's all right here. A church who lives with a sense of urgency is one who loves one another earnestly. That word earnest means strong. It means sincere. It's a church who gives one another their best, not their leftovers, from every week. They give one another their best. It's a church who does not make it the norm to miss corporate worship on the weekends. All week, we look forward to coming together across all our campuses to care for one another, to see one another, to love one another, to worship the living God together in unity. Man, we do everything we can to get here missing is not the norm for us at the Bible Chapel. During the week, we don't sit around and wait for needs to come to us. We're proactive. 
We reach out to one another throughout the week. We, we look out for those, and we have our eyes open to see if someone looks like they're in need. We, we call one another. We email one another. We text one another. We Facebook message. I can mention like 10 social media outlets there, right? We go out of our way to say, how was your week? How can I pray for you? How can I support you this week? We are proactive in our care for one another. When I was in high school, uh, I was driving home from basketball practice one day, and uh, my parents still live in the same spot, a townhome in, in Hunting Ridge, and uh, for Robinson and Washington, that's not far at all here from the South Hills campus. And I show up, and there are three fire trucks at our townhome, like taking up the whole street. And I get there, and there's some smoke coming out of our front door. My mom is in tears in the front lawn. I, I get out of the car, obviously run up, and, and I make sure first that everyone's okay. And I go on to find out that my mom was upstairs. She had a pot on the stove, and there was a grease fire. Now, if anyone's in panic mode, you th see fire, you think water, right? Makes sense. But you don't put water on a grease fire, right? She took a bucket of water. There goes the kitchen. Up in flames, the cabinets were destroyed, smoke throughout the house. It took about a month uh, for all the repairs to happen. So, so when there's a grease fire, how do, you, how do you put it out? You smother it, right? You take a large lid. You take a heavy blanket, something, because with a grease fire, what extinguishes it is you smother the oxygen out of the fire. If fire doesn't have room to breathe, it cannot grow. Interesting, Peter, he could have used any example to show a church that loves one another earnestly, but in verse 8, he says, love covers a multitude of sins. Peter knew the church then and has always been a group of sinners saved by grace who are often going to fall short. We're going to sin against one another. We're going to hurt one another. And Peter's saying here, you know, the true test of a church that loves one another earnestly is when sin arises, we address it. When division arises, we address it. And we do so in earnest love and grace in a way that we want to smother it, get it out of our church because we want to move forward for Jesus Christ. A church that loves one another earnestly does not hold grudges against their brother and sister. They do not have resentment against their brother and sister. They go out of their way to smother that out of the church. This is not overlooking sin. This is actually addressing sin when you see it in your brother and sisters because you love them enough that you want to get them on track for Jesus Christ. You love them enough to make maybe your, your relationship uncomfortable to make sure that you get them on track. And if you want to be in true Christian community, then you have to be one who says, and when I'm in sin, I hope someone calls me out. I hope they address that area in my life because I also want to get that out so I can press forward in my walk with Jesus Christ. Peter says first, a church who values serving one another has earnest love flowing through its members. 
It's going to show up because they prioritize being together. They're proactive in caring for one another, and they address sin right away. They address division right away because we want nothing that is not of God to breathe very long in this place. Look at verse 9. Next, Peter says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Here's the second one. When God has your heart, it's going to show up by serving one another, which also requires our time, our investment in one another. In the first century, showing hospitality of was critical importance. If you were a traveling believer, you did not have many hotels to choose from. You definitely did not have Airbnb yet. I know that. And you would go to the town center in hopes that a gracious and kind resident would bring you in. And for a believer, a persecuted church, this was of utmost importance. We live in a very different day and age in the 21st century. Many call us now the transient church. People can come and go as often as they want. You can church hop every weekend if you want. Actually, over the last decade, it is being said that it's becoming the the trend of the church. People just go one church to the next to receive what's best for them. Crosswalk.com did an article on this a few years ago, and listen to what they say. Quote, the hardcore hopper never even makes an initial commitment. They perpetually float between churches, pursuing a Beth Moore study at First Baptist, youth group at First Methodist, weekend services at Hope, Grace, or Community Church, marriage enrichment events at dot, 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 well, you get the picture. What drives this? For some, it's simply the consumer mindset of our culture at work in the church. They take from various churches whatever it is they perceive to be of value without ever committing to any one church to either support or to serve. Now, we understand the importance of every person, every family finding the right church that God is calling you to be at. And we understand that the Bible chapel is not the church for everyone. But at the same time, if you never plant roots in the body of Christ at some local body, how in the world are relationships going to develop, going to flourish, going to grow, to allow us to serve one another as God's word shows us to do? And we at the Bible Chapel... I'm talking to our our members here, our regular attenders here. We own this as well. What are we doing to go out of our way to make sure that when people come to our church, they feel welcomed here? It starts by each of us making it an effort to be more hospitable to one another and to those that we notice could be here for the first time. Now, I want to say this first. There's a reason why one of our three major goals for the next few years is a goal of better job at care and connection. Ron mentioned this last week. We have heard from you across all our campuses that starting with leadership 
and our staff, we have to do a better job at making people feel more welcomed, connected, and cared for. We, we own that. And as Ron said last week, if you're here today at any of our campuses and at any moment you have not felt connected or cared for, we apologize for that. That is not our goal. It's the opposite. And we're committed to it. And I also want to say the responsibility to care for one another, helping one another get connected, being hospitable to one another, that's the responsibility of every believer in the church. It demands our time. Beginning with each one of us again, looking out for those who may be new with us today, and not just uh, relying on a connections team to welcome them, but you looking out and saying, hey, are you new here today? How long have you been going to the Bible chapel? Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Can I share what God's doing in my life? How can we go out of our way to be hospitable? I'm telling you, you'll never know how a simple, hi, how are you? Can I buy you a bagel or coffee can change someone's life? Because it happened to Kristen and I. About 12 years ago, newly married, we were church hopping. I admit it, we were church hopping. And uh, we were struggling to find that church. So we went to this Baptist church. It was about 800 people. And we went one Sunday. I think we skipped a week or two. And then we went again. And we made sure we sat in the second to last row. Now, we should have sat in the last row, I guess, because we got confronted. Uh, we, uh, we were in the second to last row. The service ended. We were about to turn out and head out. And this gentleman by the name of Nate came up to us. He said, hey, I saw you here a few weeks ago. And I'm thinking, how in the world does he remember us? He said, I saw you here. What's your name? I introduced ourselves. And he said, hey, can I buy you a bagel and coffee downstairs? They had like this breakfast hour. And I looked at Christmas. I mean, what, you can't say no, right? So we went down with him and we met some of his, uh, his group that's part of this group called the Travelers. It's a young adult group. And they said, hey, we have, a, we have like a Bible study hour after the first service. Come on with us. So we went there. And while there, we found out about a cookout coming up at the next weekend. They invited us to the cookout. We didn't have to bring anything, so we went. <laughs> and uh, at that cookout, we just started to build some relationships. We got to know people who live not too far from us. So we decided, well, at least for this month, let's keep going. Within two months, the youth pastor came up and said, hey, you guys are young. You need to be in youth ministry. We got plugged in there. Through that connection, I got connected to further with Campus Life. The director was going to that church. We started serving in youth and at a local high school. And from that time of serving, God birthed in my heart a call to vocational ministry, and I got involved with college ministry and started working for a coalition for Christian outreach. My partnering church, the Bible Chapel. After a few years there, God put me uh, in charge of all the student ministry. Then I was blessed, obviously, to serve in Wilkinsburg for five years, and somehow I'm standing here today. When people say, you know, how did you, uh, often younger pastors say, man, how did you grow in ministry, develop it? I said, I have no idea. It's amazing how God did this, but I'll be completely honest. It goes back to a guy named Nate. Honestly, I know God is sovereign. He could have got us to the point we are today any way he wanted. But if Nate never grabbed us after that second visit, I can't guarantee he would have went back to that church. I know I would not have been involved in youth ministry as quickly as that happened. 
And it's amazing what God can do with a simple hello. How are you? Can I buy you a cup of coffee? How can you this week, this month, be more hospitable to those around you? Look at verses 10 and 11 as we look at our final one. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Serving one another requires our hearts, our time, and finally, he says, serving one another also requires our gifts. When we hear the word grace, we ultimately, right, we go right to the cross, and that is absolutely true. We are saved by faith alone, through grace alone, by the grace of God, we are saved of our sin. Nothing we could do could uh, redeem us from our sin. That is by God's grace through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But sometimes we forget that God's grace permeates everything in our lives. The word varied in this verse means wide-ranging. That means everything you have is from God, by God's grace. And that includes the gifts that he has given every single believer to serve his church. Looking again at verse 10, Peter uses this word to, to describe how we're supposed to function with the gifts that God has given us. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. A first century steward had no wealth of their own, nothing. They were simply put in charge of handling their master's wealth. And they weren't even allowed to, to handle the master's wealth by their own decisions or means. They had to focus on what was the master's will and direction for how the steward should handle his or her wealth. Well, Peter uses that word steward to describe how we're supposed to approach the gifts that God has given us. They are from God and we are to use them for his will and his direction. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has uniquely gifted you with a purpose to serve him and to serve his church, to serve one another. In 1 Corinthians 12, uh, we get a comprehensive list of the spiritual gifts, and it ends with this in verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. I love this. Our gifts are empowered by God. He's the one in you by his Spirit who empowers you to use those gifts. In the Spirit, I love this, God has strategically apportioned what gift I should receive, you should receive in order as one unit to build up and serve his church. How are you being a good steward of the gifts God has given you? 
Who remembers uh, last year we kicked off uh, the year with a stewardship sermon series and we had a, a core group series? Who remembers that? All right, six people here. <laughs> Hope a few there. I'm sure many of you remember that. Uh, I want you to know, I'm just mentioning this as an FYI, uh, we've had a stewardship team working throughout the last nine months on a new uh, curriculum coming out, and it's going to be called Something Like Intentional Living. And the whole purpose is to make sure that everyone here at the Bible Chapel knows how God has uniquely gifted them and through Scripture knows how God calls us to use our time and talents for his glory. We're excited to roll that out. It will be coming soon, but I wanted you to know that that is a focal point of who we want to be as a church. In verses 10 and 11, what's interesting, uh, Peter does not list all the gifts like other parts of Scripture. He just uses two categories for this directive to serve. He says those who speak and those who serve. First, Peter says, those who speak or teach God's word are to be mindful that no person is fit to teach God's word on their own. No person. By God's grace, right? God's grace that permeates everything out of concern for his body, through the power of his spirit, he allows the teachers of his church to share his word. I want you to know that Ron, myself, and the campus pastors take very seriously this role of teaching the word of God. It is humbling to teach his word. And it's a reminder for anybody in our church, if you teach children's ministry, youth ministry, a core group, our role is a serious role. Every time we teach, it needs to be our best, our best preparation, praying to God, submitting it to the Lord that he would guide our words because it's by God's grace that we even dare open up his word and teach it to our brothers and sisters in Christ. The second grouping is from the household, uh, the first century word for a household servant. These were the men and women who gave themselves to the effective and efficient running of a home. They worked long and hard to ensure that the environment was conducive to a healthy family life. Peter says also, those who are not teachers, your role is just as important. In order for us to have a healthy church family, we need every person serving and using their gifts. If you're at the pulpit, you're singing on the worship team, you're with our children's, you're on our connections teams, you're on our facility team, they're all equal in the eyes of God. We all need one another to produce a healthy family called the body of Christ. One quick story for you. Um, Brad Ryan shared this with me. Um, it's a couple who went to our Connect class a few years ago. And something we're working on is as they share, uh, they didn't know where to go. They didn't know what to do next. So they just started serving. And it was amazing to them how God provided as they just started using their gifts. Let me share. This is from Tim and Amanda Vance from here at the South Hills campus. We started attending the Bible Chapel in the summer of 2015. Amanda began regularly serving in the nursery department in the fall of 2015 since our children were both young at the time. 
We were interested in being a part of a core group uh, soon after we started attending, but we never joined one due to scheduling conflicts, and it was just difficult uh, knowing even where to go. But after seeing that there was a great need for volunteers in the children's department, I began serving with Amanda about a year and a half ago. We have really enjoyed serving together. That's one thing, man. There's, there's nothing like a couple serving together in the church. We really have enjoyed serving one in, uh, together in the nursery. And while serving, we got to know and become close to many families with young children like us. In fact, we are now starting a core group with another couple we met by serving in the nursery. By serving together at the chapel, we have been able to build great relationships with other families, both at church and now in our core group at home. I love that because these five essentials just always seem to work together. Tim and Amanda, they just started serving. When they started serving, they got connected. And by getting connected, they're now in God's Word together with other families from our church. Now, I can't promise everyone your same flow will happen like the Vance's. But, man, I'm telling you, more often than not, when you just get involved, start using the gifts that God has given you, it's amazing how he moves through that act of obedience. Here's what I want to do as we prepare to wrap up. Uh, across all our campuses, uh, I want to show uh, the ways that you can today get connected when it, when it means to serving. I am not asking you to sign up for a specific ministry today. All I'm saying is that if you're not serving in some form or fashion, I'm not afraid to say this, we need you. To have the healthy church we desire to be, we need every believer on board using their gifts to serve. So let me show you simple ways for you to just do that. All I'm asking is just do this today. Just say, I'm ready to serve, and we'll take it from there. We're just asking for a willing heart this morning. Let me show you four ways that you can do today in order to get connected to serve. The first one is simply through our website. That's the easiest way for us to know an area. We're going to show you a quick uh, video on how to do that. Uh, you go to BibleChapel.org. Right up on that next steps area on the front page, there's a serve button there. And as you scroll down, I'm ready to volunteer. That's all it takes. There are a little bit of information. We don't ask for your social security number, bank account. Don't worry. <laughs> it's literally your name, a little contact information. And if you're ready, if you have an area you want to serve, if you click children's ministry, it's going to go right to that campus and right to the children's director, and they'll follow up with you. That's one way. Another way is we have an app. Maybe you don't know that, but we have an app for the iPhone, Android, at any uh, the app store on your phone. And right on the front page, there it is. Serve. You click that, it will go to the same place. You can email us. Serve at BibleChapel.org. You can literally just say hello, and that's all we need. We will follow up with you. Serve at BibleChapel.org. And one more. Uh, when you came in today uh, at any campus, they would have handed out, if you wanted this, uh, they would have handed out the, the notes for the message today. And if you don't have this with you now, it's fine. They're, they're on the way out at starting point. They're there. Uh, but on the back of the notes is a list of all the serving needs right now at each campus. And right at the bottom, name, email, phone. If you fill that out, 
rip that off. There's a bin out that door. There's a bin going out that door. You slip that in that bin. We will follow up with you this week. Again, we're just asking if you are not connected in some form or fashion, just start the conversation with us. Let us come alongside you. Allow us to make sure that everyone's on board to use their gifts to serve the Lord. Before I close, I, I want to make one thing clear. If you're here today at any of our campuses and you have never trusted in Jesus Christ alone as your Lord and Savior, that's your first step in serving the Lord. You see, you, you can't truly serve the Lord with your heart if he doesn't even have your heart. If you're here today and you have never trusted in Jesus, it's, it's simply this. It's recognizing and believing I'm a sinner, knowing that every person is a sinner. And because of my sin, I am separated from God. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, we all fall short of the glory of God. There is no person who can do enough to reach the standard of the eternal God. And because of our sin, the penalty is death, spiritual separation from God. But Jesus Christ, who's the head of his church, the eternal Son of God, came to earth, lived the perfect life that I couldn't live, that you couldn't live, and he went to the cross, and he bore our sin. He was buried in the grave, and he rose from the dead, and he conquered sin and death once and for all. Today can be the day that you just even begin the greatest relationship you'll ever have with the living God. You can't serve God until he first has you. We would love to pray with you today after service or just talk with you at any campus on what it means to trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As we wrap up, let's go back to that last two verses uh, from this morning. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And here's the beauty. When we are all in church with our hearts, with our time, and with our gifts, we will be pursuing the ultimate goal, which is the end of verse 11. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. When we are functioning as one body, serving one another, we bring God glory through Christ. Why? Because he's the head of this church. No man, no person oversees the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And when, as we function as one body under his headship, we bring the living God glory. We think about those five essentials, word, worship, connect, serve, share. They are really cool in theory, right? Even better when they're in practice. When people come visit the Bible chapel, do they see a church who truly lives out what they say they value? Father, as we prepare uh, to worship you and close in song, God, I pray that every person here in the South Hills and Robinson and Washington and all those joining us online, first and foremost, has trusted in Jesus Christ alone as our Lord and Savior. God, and every believer recognizes with joy that you have gifted them uniquely to serve your church.
God, I pray that 2019 is a year, man, where we are clicking on all cylinders. Everyone is involved. Where we're running out of room to put people to serve because everyone says, I'm all in for Jesus Christ and to use my gifts to serve his church for the Lord's glory. Father, as we uh, transition back to the campuses, let us now sing and close in worship to the one who deserves all the glory and praise. We love you and praise, and praise you. In Christ's name, amen.